Welcome to Muse to the Feral, a Prince podcast from a female perspective. I am your host, Darling Nisi. Today we have a special guest. I'm always very interested to hear from people who have unique experiences in the purple world. And our guest today actually worked for Warner Brothers, supporting his account in the 80s. But we'll get into that in a second. But please welcome Marilyn McNair. Hi, Marilyn. Hi, how are you? I'm good. I'm very excited to hear some stuff today. (laughs) (laughs) So the first question we always ask is the Prince origin story. So how did you hear about Mm. him? And do you remember when you heard him for the first time? Sure. Yes. Um, Well, I'll start out by saying that Prince and I are the same age. Okay. We were born the same year and um, I saw his album at a friend's house. So this is my origin story. I'll back up a little bit. Um, I heard Prince soft and wet and I heard most of that album um, for you, but I also heard, I want to be your lover. So this had to be in 1979, uh, Thanksgiving, over uh, keyboardist Bobby Lyle's house. He was a friend of a friend, and he always invited us straight cats <laughs> to his house for, you know, parties and stuff. And I think that's this was like my second Thanksgiving being there. And uh, so, yeah, Thanksgiving 1979, he played both of those albums and he was kind of like you know this guy he's from Minneapolis he's wonderful and as an aside when I met Bobby I I said something stupid which is you know kind of my want at that time in my life I said I did not know black people lived in Minneapolis (laughs) (laughs) I really didn't but he and his wife and his kids, they were just fantastic, very hospitable. And um, yeah, so that's where we were dancing. I remember dancing in his living room, like to I Want to Be Your Lover. And then um, right after that, I think for Christmas vacation, I went back to Detroit and they were, of course, playing the heck out of Prince. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I was actually born outside of Detroit uh, in Royal Oaks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and my parents lived in Troy as well. So, Troy, um, Michigan. Yeah, yeah. cool. <laughs> so did you go to any concerts before you started working for WB? No, I started there in, uh, I think it was February of uh, 83. And, you know, I knew of Prince and, and going back to being in Bobby's living room and looking at those album covers, I was just like, oh, this guy's cute. And I couldn't fathom and I couldn't wrap my head around his name. I, I kept thinking it was fake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like he's a cute guy, like, but why is he Prince? Like, why is he on this horse slash unicorn? I mean, that's what I was thinking, <laughs> you know, but um, yeah, I hadn't gone to any of his shows at that time. And I did live in Los Angeles and that's where I, I met Bobby and his family went to school in Los Angeles. But no, before I went to work at Warner Brothers, I had never seen Prince live. I I have to say, I tried to go see him. Uh, I think he was at like the Santa Monica Civic during uh, maybe the uh, controversy tour. Yeah. And we couldn't get in. It was pandemonium. I thought I was going to be able to kind of just slide in. Back in those days, security wasn't a big deal. You, if you knew somebody, somebody would open the door for you. Mm-hmm. You just hoped that it wasn't a bum rush. Like, 
everybody wasn't back there and, you know, you get trampled or whatever, but it didn't work out. So I was pretty happy to be working for them and knowing that I could see him legitimately. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So how did you get your job at WB and what did you do there? Well, my friend, um, Steve, who's still a friend all these years later, I met him. I met him at, um, Motown. I worked for Motown for three very long months, three months that seemed like three years. I learned so much about uh, the the entertainment industry and the music business from working there. And uh, my friend was a merchandiser for VIP Records in Los Angeles. And um, we just chit-chatted, blah, blah, blah. And we stayed in touch. And uh, in, I guess, February of 83, uh, a position became open at Warner Brothers in Burbank. I was, back then they called us secretaries. So I was a secretary in the black uh, music promotion department. And so, yeah, my good friend, Steve, my good friend, Steve, he he, uh, got me that job. So back up, you said you worked for Motown. What what kind of stuff did did you go do there? I, it's so weird. I went there back in those days. I've always been kind of a, um, bold person. When I was younger, I, I just, I was just doing anything. I had been a disc jockey, uh, in Los Angeles, one of the youngest at age 18. And I decided I want to work in the music business. How do I do this? And like I said, back then it wasn't about security and things like that. It's just about going there. So I showed up dressed nicely in their lobby. And, um, I ended up getting an interview that day. And I got hired. They thought I was someone else. Isn't that weird? They <laughs> thought I was a friend of a friend. But no, I just walked in off the street and I worked there for uh, three months. Yeah, I worked in the um, black music department. Can you talk a little bit about the black music department and the different um, <laughs> organizations? Like, well, I guess they had uh, a certain strategy, but can you talk more about mm. that? Yeah, for instance, uh, we'll, we'll um, transition past Motown. Motown was a thing all unto itself because um, they were family-owned, very, very interesting family, the Gordys. But mm-hmm. um, at Warner Brothers, the Black Music Promotion Department had – so funny, the day I started, the day I started, I was in my car driving from the Valley to um, Burbank, and – I turned on the radio, K-Day, probably uh, the big AM black station in Los Angeles, and they were playing Madonna. I had never heard of her. Mm. I think they were playing um, Everybody, I think, was the song that was out. And come to find out, she was a Warner Brothers artist. And I was like, oh, wow, this is so apropos. This is like prophetic and blah, blah, blah. So um, I said that to say that she was being promoted in the black music department, as well as the dance music department. Um, Anything that wasn't considered pop right away was kind of relegated to the black music department. (laughs) And Prince, um, even though he famously said he did not want to be promoted as a black act, even though he he was signed basically by Russ Thyrett with with, uh, Owen Husney, uh, getting him signed and what have you, because he was a black man, I mean, the and he had an audience um, in the black community, the black music department would have been promoting him. I'm skipping ahead just for a second. Once Purple Rain hit, um, he 
became a pop artist to Warner Brothers. And then Black Music Department was kind of ancillary. I mean, they kept him, you know, on the charts. He was doing things. He was doing promotions and things like that. But he suddenly, just like Madonna, when she hid with um, Material Girl, became a pop act officially. (laughs) So, um, but what we did was we basically, the biggest thing back in those days was tracking, tracking airplay nationwide. We had promotion guys who um, traveled in their regions like Atlanta, the Carolinas, Los Angeles, Detroit, et cetera. And they would call us. It's just me and another girl named Deb, who is still a friend. Um, They would call us and tell us how the, the records were doing. Like we had these sheets. Each sheet represented a single. We had the singles and we had the albums. And we would just go through them like, Okay, you know, K-Day is playing Prince, um, Little Red Corvette, and it's at number three, you know, with a bullet. That's how they would talk. And, you know, when things went down on the, on the um, I guess, big playlist or whatever, we'd no- notice that, too. And this was the thing that gave the impetus to the promotions department, which is where I work, to do something to keep the song afloat, you know, whether it's a promotion an in-store appearance or something of that nature, a giveaway to keep, uh, um, I guess the artist and their record top of mind. Hmm, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, um, you did talk a little bit about some of what you did in your role, but if you mm-hmm. could kind of talk about what is the day in the life of a WB quote, secretarian <laughs> quote, Um, just fielding a lot of phone calls from media, as you might imagine, and people and artists, not just people, but artists, managers, a lot of managers um, at that time, gosh, Warner Brothers was probably neck and neck as far as being the biggest record company in the world with Columbia, which is now Sony, of course. Um, You know, they had Michael Jackson, we had Prince and, you know, Madonna and Al Jarreau, uh, George Benson and got Black Sabbath, Grant, uh, Larry Graham. We had Shaka Khan, a lot of folks just across the spectrum, talking heads. And um, so part of what we did was just fielding calls from the media. If something happened, we would, um, you know, get calls and say, we need a comment or how do we handle this situation? I'm going to say something I've never, I mean, no one's ever asked me, but years ago, uh, when Madonna, I forgot what happened with her management or something. She was just starting to blow up. And my boss at the time in the black music department had to beg. And I wish I could remember his name. I'm sure it's on uh, Wikipedia somewhere, but they were in business a long time. He made, she made him a multi multimillionaire. But anyway, my boss had to kind of beg him. I remember listening to him begging uh, him to take Madonna on as a client. This guy did not want to do it. And of course, everything worked out. I doubt she ever knew that this man didn't want to have anything to do with her. And my boss was in there begging for him to take her on. Um, we diffused a lot of situations. Artists would go on tour and disappear, you know, get into things that they weren't supposed to get into. Um, and, the managers would call us or we'd call them and say, you know, so-and-so is supposed to be at the venue. Where are they? 
there was a lot of things. You can imagine with people who are artistic and creative and volatile at times, um, sometimes at war with the record company, sometimes at war with their own management or PR people, um, that it made for an interesting um, day. Hmm. So um, I guess you were the promotion for the black music department, right? So Correct. you would have to interface with the artists sometimes. Can you talk about, <laughs> did you get to meet Prince and what was yeah. that like? Yeah, I got to meet Prince about six weeks after I started, as a matter of fact. And it's so funny. I was like, wow, this job is so cool. You get to like, and I was thinking it was the norm to always go to concerts and always go to after parties and stuff. And it wasn't necessarily like that all the time. But um, yeah, I got to, um, I guess it was March 31st of 1993 or 1983, excuse me, Prince played the uh, Long Beach Arena in Los Angeles area. And, uh, the concert was bananas. It was crazy. Um, this was the 1999 tour and vanity six was on that tour. And I'm pretty sure Morris day and the time were on that tour. Um, and we missed, we missed somebody. And I think we missed vanity six and got to see Morris day. And of course, Prince, I mean, he was the main attraction. And I have to say, even back then, um, I never, I didn't notice anyone on the stage except him. And I don't know, I feel like I've heard other people say that in, in throughout his career. It didn't matter if it was in the 2000s, the 2010s. When Prince was on the stage, all you could see was him. I mean, you might glance left or right because he walked over there to be with <laughs> another musician or what, but he was everything. And that energy that came from him was just, it was crazy. So yeah, that, and, and so you were talking about meeting him. So, okay. So the gig was over. It was great. Fantastic. And I was with my then boyfriend who became my husband. We went to um, a hotel and, you know, the ballroom was all set. It was beautiful. Eddie Murphy, we saw him coming in, Magic Johnson, various stars, um, Dean White and a couple of members of uh, Earth, Wind and Fire. And the person who was my hero at the time, and I still consider him a hero, Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> that was a big deal. That was like a huge deal for me to see him there, him and Steven Van Zandt, uh, his good friend and guitar player. And I had a nice long conversation with them. I mean, super nice guy. Um, but anyway, they announced us that we would have the opportunity to meet Prince. It was like, oh my God, we get to actually meet him. Now I hadn't really seen him. I mean, wherever he was, there was like a crowd around him or whatever. So eventually, I guess he made his way towards the middle of the room and there was still kind of a crowd around him. There were bodyguards and what have you as well. So we're, we're in this line, like, meeting the queen, you know what I mean? Like we're in a receiving line, you know, I'm thinking this poor guy, he has played his heart out and now he's got to stand somewhere and meet people. But when I got up to him, you know, he put his hand out and I shook his hand and I told him that his show was fantastic. It was great. And I said, you are so funny. 
on stage. I, I did not know you were so funny. And he said something, you know, something gracious that I could not hear with that low voice of his <laughs> in that ballroom. But, he, you know, he looked me in the face, looked me in the eyes when he was talking to me. And uh, that was it. And, and I kept walking. Now, he, to describe him, he was almost, how would you put it, like um, ethereal. You know what I mean? He had an aura around him. It's like, just like I said on stage, when you looked at him, you, you didn't see anyone else. That's how it was. When when he put his hand out and I took his hand and looked him in the face, he looked me in the face. Those He was just all eyes. You know what I mean? Those eyes. And he had a sparkly like bandana type thing around his head but over his right eye hmm. and you've seen that image they, yeah. if you've seen that that's what he was looking like then white ruffle shirt white lace gloves and he had on a black bolero style jacket with um like white buttons down the sides of the arms and uh close fitting black pants with white buttons down the sides. Mm. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so I should mention Vanity was there mm. with him. They I, I think they really wanted to kind of get away, honestly. Now her, you could barely see her. I mean, the men were just they were ridiculous, all these old married men, <laughs> you know. It was it was pretty wild, but she had on a black lace dress with nothing underneath. Hmm. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you know, and she was beautiful, just mm -hmm. like him. They mm -hmm. were a beautiful couple. Wow. Did you ever get to speak with her anytime? I did not. I did not. I think she was trying to get back with her girls, you know, from Vanity Six and, and probably to get away with Prince at one point, <clears throat> excuse me, because after all the greeting and all that was over, he got on the, um, he went and played DJ for a while. He, he was playing the records. He was spinning the records, dancing and stuff like that. And yeah. Okay. Um, so I'm sure you have lots of cool stories from working with <laughs> WV. So can you share some of those? Well, I'll share a couple. Um, so in the black music department, like I said, um, mostly people were, the people we dealt with, were pretty nice. I would say the the one celebrity I met that wasn't well. There's been a couple that I met that wasn't great at all, and I've never been a fan because of that meeting. That, <clears throat> as they say, you only get to make a first impression one time, and that would have been Madonna of all people. Um, yeah, I mean, it's I don't know. She was she was awful to us as a group of young ladies who were so excited to meet her. She was absolutely awful to us. We spoke and we said, Hey, how are you? And this and that. And she just looked at us. She just stared at us mm. <laughs> and someone else said something else to her and she just looked at them and then she just turned away and just, it was like, we weren't even there. I've never seen anything quite like that before, especially with a new, fairly new budding artist on the rise. Um, I met Morris Day <laughs> um, after the pandemonium of uh, the time being fired, that was an interesting day at work when the time got fired off of Prince's tour. Um, that was that was like 
tons of phone calls and just back and forth and all this stuff. I mean, even then people were like, well, you know, what can we do? Well, what can you do? Prince did what he wanted to do. And there was a reason for them getting let go. But it was hard because they were still on tour, you know, and people in different uh, markets, they were expecting to see people like the time, you know, they put on a great show and they were expecting to see these three acts. And one of them was gone because of a side project in Atlanta with Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis uh, working with um, the SOS band, I guess. But anyway, um, yeah, so I had the opportunity uh, during Purple Rain time to, the movie had come out, it blown up, it was real big. I got to meet uh, Morris Day. He came into the office and my boss wasn't there at the time. Uh, my boss, I had two bosses. One was named Cortez Thompson. And uh, he said, oh, is Cortez here? I said, no. He says, well, can I use his office now? Uh, anybody who's had, you know, a boss generally, especially in those days, they usually don't like people in their office. I don't know too many people who like people in their office. Doesn't matter if they're celebrity or whatever, but I was like, sure. You know, know, I was like kind of starstruck probably like, sure. And so he went in there and just about that time, you know, a little while later, he was on the phone. A little while later, someone called in and we used to field calls from the public who asked questions about records and about artists. People used to think that Prince lived at Warner Brothers Records. Mm -hmm. They would say, is he there? Can we speak to him? If I come up there, will I see him? I met people who made their way because they were pretty back past the reception area to our department. And I had to break it to them that he was not there. He did not live there. (laughs) Um, but anyway, uh, so someone called and said, um, do you know, I think it was a radio station. I don't think it was a random person. I think it was a radio station cause they were thinking about doing a promotion and they said, do you know where Prince's motorcycle is from, um, purple rain? I said, I, I don't know where he keeps it. I said, Oh, but I know who might know. So, <laughs> so I, um, go and uh, go into my boss's office and I asked Morris Day, does he know? <laughs> I said, I said um, something like, hi, uh, excuse me, somebody's calling. They want to know where does Prince keep his motorcycle from Purple Rain? And he goes, beat, you know, like a pause. And he goes, I don't know. You need to ask him. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay. <laughs> so I, like, I just backed out. I was like, okay. <laughs> Sorry. So, uh, yeah, I just told my the person on the phone, like, I, I'm not sure we'll we'll have to get back to you or whatever. I will say one time there was a contest and the prize was for a lucky winner. And each of our um, I, this might lead up to why I, I ended up leaving Warner Brothers. Um, each person, uh, each each um, market would get a winner from a radio station and they would win an autographed um, poster of Purple Rain. You know, Purple Rain was doing great business. It was crazy. No one expected it to do what it did in the, in the album is all of that. Well, once we got the list of winners, we were told to go about signing me and my, my uh, coworker signing those posters 
and I refused to do it. I said, I'm not, I'm not going to sign that. They were like, why? You know, what do you mean? You work here, take one for the team. I said, if I was a fan of anyone, especially Prince, I, I would be like so over the moon to get uh, a poster with a signature on it. But I said, this is like not ethical to me. I said, it's not right. It's not cool. If we can't get him to sign these because he's busy or he's on tour or whatever, I said, there has to be a way for them. They were like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Just go sit over there, hold these, you know? So, So that was it. You know, I would, every once in a while, I would be the person who would raise my hand and say, this, this doesn't seem right or whatever. Um, but I'll tell you an interesting story about, um, when I first, this is kind of a digression, but when I first kind of fell for Prince, okay. Like I said, when I saw his picture on, for you and on Prince, I was like, "Mm," you know, on Prince, he looked kind of like blah, like, you know, like he's mad or something, whatever, you know. Um, I had a big afro, too, at one point. I was like, oh, he's got the big afro like I used to wear. Um, I was on the first album. But um, I, people don't realize, like, videos and MTV, all of that kind of came to the fore around the same time. Like, suddenly there was this vi- this um, avenue in which to show videos. It was a big deal. So suddenly we had a video department. It was a very big deal. I mean, they had everybody go up and tour the department and how you could check out videos. is like checking out books at a library. Mm-hmm. So I got to, I got a compilation of um, some Prince videos, uh, automatic and controversy or what have you. When I saw Prince um, doing Little Red Corvette, just everything about it from the way it opened and the music, how slow and kind of sensuous it was and his just his look. I was gobsmacked. I was like, is this the guy? I mean, I, I think that was the first video I saw. I didn't even see the other ones yet. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, my God, is this what he looks like now? Now, this is when I first got to Warner Brothers in 83. I mean, I had the opportunity to do this. And I was like, oh, my God, this is that same guy. He looks so fine. He looks so (laughs) good. Oh, my God. I mean, I couldn't believe it. So I think I was making these pronouncements out loud. And um, one of my bosses who worked with Cortez, she was the um, she mostly dealt with the media. Okay, the things that were put in print and interviews for various artists, including Prince. And she came out of her office, which she seldom did. And she said, what are you talking about, Marilyn? I said, oh, my God, Prince is so fine. And she said to me, "Uh, are you crazy? She goes, he's a pervert. Yeah. And I said, what? She said, he's a pervert. Um, he he told some reporter that he wanted to lick her cunt. That's what she said. And, I, and, and at the time, honestly, I kind of didn't know what cunt was. So I was like, <laughs> what? So I was like, hmm, what does that mean? I think I know what it means. It's like, wow. She goes, yeah. So if you like him, you're nuts. And she walked back in her office and I really didn't think much of it at the time, but as I look back, I think, okay, so you knew Prince or was around him 
from like the inception of his contract, whatever his recordings, um, 77, 78. And here it is like five years later, he's on the rise for real. And you took it upon yourself to like say this to me mm. of all people, you know, I'm giving the guy, I, I, it was like, I saw him for the first time that day. And she said that. And of course, years later, if you'll, uh, if you've read some of his more recent interviews, I don't remember if this one was from Essence or from Rolling Stone, one of his very last interviews, the uh, interviewer asked him, uh, about some of the things he did in the past. And, and they said, is it true you like were lascivious or something with a reporter? And Prince said, I asked a female reporter if her pubes went to her navel. Mm -hmm. And he said, um, yeah. And, and the reporter goes, oh, wow. And he goes, yeah, uh, she didn't answer me, which she shouldn't have. He goes, thank God I've evolved because I, I can't even believe I said that. I'm mm -hmm. paraphrasing, but he was like, I can't even believe I did that, but I did. That's not the same thing. No, it's not. <laughs> she wanted to scare me off Prince. Yeah, because I'd actually read the the, the pube quote. I, I'd have to find it again, but I'd seen that in print before. Yeah, exactly. So you know I'm telling the truth. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I said, that's not quite the same thing. And that was so funny because that was the first time I ever had clarification. I always thought what she said was what happened. Uh-huh. You know? So, yeah. Nice. I that was weird. Yeah. Mm. Well... Well, let me ask this because you said you started at 83 and you're also around mm -hmm. for Purple Rain. So what were some of the changes as far as publicity from 83 to 84 that you noticed? Well, um, as Prince's star began to rise, and I mean rapidly, like I told you, he was suddenly like a pop music, you know, we'll, we'll take it from here kind of thing, you know. Um, just a lot of like Cavallo, Ruffalo, Farnoli, his um, management team. Like <laughs> we tried not to really bother people's managers that much, but they were the go-between. If you wanted an artist to do something or whatever, and back in those days, you called people. You didn't, you didn't send them letters. You didn't, you know, there was no email. You called them and you talked to them. And, um, People were kind, at least in my department, black music department, were kind of they almost seemed afraid of <laughs> Cavallo, Ruffalo, and Farnoli. I I don't know why. I mean, they had managed Earth, Wind, and Fire, which wasn't one of our acts. They were on Columbia, um, but I just thought it was so weird. Like they were very tiptoey, like trying to be very delicate or whatever. And I think that had to do more with our department not wanting to step on the toes of. Um, the pop music department, we didn't want to be out of line, you know, by asking certain things. And, and it, I don't believe it was the artist. I think it was just a perception that, hmm, he's at another level now. And so we have to be, uh, be really sure about our asks for him, you know, that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, I mean... That answer your question? Yeah, but so so there's a black music department and there's a pop department. So he yeah. started with black music, and did they take him into the pop department? I think the pop department because Russ was the big guy um, in the pop music department. He was a great guy to me. Uh, he struck fear in the hearts of everybody. He was a tough guy, but 
for me, always jovial, always kind. Um, Mo Austin was the um, chairman and he was always nice, easy, you know, always called him Mo, never Mr. Austin. Um, they, they were kind of casual to a point at Warner Brothers Records. But to answer your question, I, I feel like he was Prince at first, okay, was more or less being, you know, I think his first gig was like at the Roxy Theater mm -hmm. and he had like a comedian open for him, like little things like that big. But little. Do you know what I mean? Yes, the Roxy Theater on Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles. It's not the Chitlin Circuit, but they were bringing him along. Um, but smartly, I think the pop music department wanted Prince to establish a foothold in the black community, you know? And I think it was a good decision, you know. Um, we we literally were across the patio from each other. If we wanted to run over there really quick, and a shortcut was to run across the patio, <laughs> this redwood deck, to the um, pop music department if you had to deliver something really quickly or whatever. But I, I feel like the pop music department was kind of um, – not not wait and see, not at all. I mean, they, they had faith in him, and, and Russ had a lot of faith in him, but they were bringing him along. Um, a friend of mine, and I didn't know this until last year, um, that, and this is my friend Steve, my friend Steve Campfield, who, who got me my job at uh, Warner Brothers. He ended up giving an interview to a radio station in San Diego, and we it just never came up. We never talked about it, but he was with Prince the day that uh, he was booed off the stage and hit with various items at that Rolling Stones concert. Yeah. And um, Steve was there and he was, he was the LA promotion guy. So he was accompanying him to that gig. I feel like it was at the Coliseum uh, in Los Angeles. And he said that, you know, after, um, and people know this story already after Prince just like kind of left the stage and he was so upset and so humiliated. And he turned to Steve and said, I'm going to be bigger than all of them. Mm. Yeah. So um, why did you leave WB? And then yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what did you do after? So I left WB in 86, in August of 86. Um, I had been on leave before that. At that time in my life, I had never experienced, and I was in my mid-20s, I had never experienced like a workplace drama. I've always been a really hard worker and very, not only diligent, but um, ethical and just the type of person who will, will help you know, like, how can I be of service type of person? That's always been kind of what I've done through the years. But um, even then, I mean, it was a great job. I loved everybody that I worked with. As I said, I'm still friends with Steve and with Deb, all these 40 some years, you know, almost 40 years later, 35 years, whatever it is. And um, I had a person who Debbie left and this new person came there and she was very insecure and I didn't know what any of those things meant. I, like I said, I was new to kind of the office environment. I had just, uh, graduated from college just a few years earlier and, um, it was my first big corporate job. And 
there was a, a shenanigans afoot, I should say, <laughs> to get me out of there for some reason. Um, you know, where, say, for instance, we had tandem lines. If my phone rang and I was on it, she could answer it. She would answer it and not give me the message for my boss and things like that or hide mail. Weird things like that, mm-hmm. you know, where someone is deliberately trying to sabotage you. So, yeah, I ended up like leaving for a while just on, on leave. I had just had a baby and I said, you know what, I'm just going to gather my thoughts and whatever. And they were like, OK, yeah, yeah, that's cool. And so after that, um, gosh, what did I do after that? I ended up working. Um, oh, no, you know what? I stayed home. I became a stay at home mom. And we ended up moving to Cambridge, Massachusetts, where my then husband went to uh, Harvard Law School. In his class was Mr. Barack Obama, (laughs) who I met too. Uh, Cool guy, of course. How could he not be? And um, yeah, so that was kind of my path uh, after L.A. and Warner Brothers. Just we moved and started something else. And um, yeah. Well, um, let me actually back up because you said that you worked at WB until 86. Mm -hmm. So after Purple Rain, and then we have Around the World in a Day, and then Hooray. Can you talk about that shift from Purple Rain to Around the World in a Day and how crazy that was? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's pretty well documented that everybody was on a high. I mean, this success was like a a rocket. It was like a comet. No one really expected it. Maybe Prince did. I don't know. You know, he was supremely gifted, obviously, and supremely confident in his gifts. Um, And when Around the World in the Day came about, um, I remember he came to the office and they announced, I think we had like loudspeakers back then, that Prince wanted everyone to come to the um, conference room. I remember, ooh, ooh I want to go. And my boss was like, well, if everybody goes, who's going to answer the phone? Mm-hmm. And so I tried to push back a little bit, but he said, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, not you. You need to answer the phone. And, um, and me and the girl behind, we, we had to stay at our desks. So it wasn't just me. It was like a a lot of the assistants, but some did get to go. The girls in the pop music department, they got to go. So, you know, as you know, Prince came with, um, Joni Mitchell and I think he had Wendy and Lisa with them and they sat on the floor and listened to, uh, around the world in a day and people were not, you know, when I say people, I mean the executives were not thrilled because it wasn't Purple Rain Part Two. Um, yeah, I remember that distinctly. But you know, they got behind it, and honestly, I mean, people of course remember Raspberry Beret and Pop Life. I mean, it had hits on it. It wasn't just wasn't what they expected, and um, everything worked out fine ultimately. But um, I think I left like right after that and went on my leave. So then um, you're not at WB anymore and you're doing Mm -hmm. other things. So did you go to other concerts and stuff after that? Oh, for Prince or just in general? For Prince. Yeah, Prince. Well, uh, you know what? Now, here's the thing about me. 
Um, when I left there, I was honestly bitter. Mm. I was very upset because I loved my job. Um, I I liked the people I worked with, except for that one crazy girl that sat behind me. But I felt kind of abandoned. It was just a weird thing where, like I said, I was allowed to kind of let the job fade out for me. And um, yeah, so they eventually, in August of 86, sent me a letter saying, we can no longer hold your job for you. (laughs) So you're going to be laid off, which was fine. I was like, okay, fine. And then I never pursued it or anything like that. I didn't want to go back. Um, But uh, what was your question? I'm sorry. Oh, if you've gone to any Prince concerts. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So this is kind of how I am for me because I was kind of upset for a long time at how I was treated. It was like scorched earth Mm -hmm. with anything Warner Brothers. I didn't want to know or be a part of or support anything that was Warner Brothers. But at the same time, my friend Steve, still my friend, still promoter, would um, bring, you know, bring me albums and stuff like, oh, this is the latest, blah, blah, blah. And of course, Prince would be in the mix. And I did go to the premiere of Sign of the Times. I did go to the premiere of that. Um, they had that, I feel like it was at like the Director's Guild or something on Sunset. It was nice star-studded event. And it was, as you know, fantastic. What, what a great concert film that was. And uh, everybody just went crazy for that. Um, but as far as live concerts, I didn't see Prince again until musicology when he stopped in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was like a full circle moment because I took my oldest daughter, Roxanne to the concert with me at Phillips arena here in Atlanta. And the thing is when she was about two years old, um, she used to listen to a two-year-old listening to Purple Rain. She didn't know what they were saying. She just listened to the music. Mm-hmm. She's a toddler. And she was mesmerized. She was absolutely mesmerized. I mean, I would play the vinyl. I had, you know, the, the album. I would play it. You know, you have to stop and flip it over mm-hmm. and all that good stuff. And I would just play it over and over for her to the point where finally I I popped it. We used to get cassettes and I got the cassette and I plopped it in. It used to be in my car. And I said, I'm going to just give Roxanne the cassette and her little, you know, cute pink cassette player. <laughs> she learned how to work that thing. And she knew how to open it, turn it over, close it and press play. <laughs> she listened to that thing over and over and over again, um, probably for over a year, maybe. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was crazy. And then when I noticed she was singing it, singing the words I said okay I told my husband we she can't be singing darling Nikki (laughs) I I don't think so so we um, made it out of an accident like (laughs) we took the um, the tape and pulled it pulled it out you know so and we said we couldn't rewind it and it was Mm. broken and she was upset (laughs) I remember one time I took her to Warner Brothers Records I took her to the office with me Um, she was about two years old at the time. And I put her in our big boss's office. I guess they weren't there that day. This guy named Tom. And uh, I put on the record, you know, he had the bomb sound system. He had the best system uh, in our department. And I would, I can see her now standing there 
just standing there like on an ottoman, you know, an ottoman small, she's small with her elbows on the ottoman, her, her head in her, her chin in her hands, listening. Mm-hmm. And at the end of Purple Rain, when all, you know, the end and it's like the orchestral, mm-hmm. the orchestral rather strings and what have you, and it fades out. And I see her turning around, looking at me with this big cheesing smile mm-hmm. on her face. She loved it. So when I got to go to, I said, you know what, Roxanne, I'm going to take you to, she'd never seen him. I said, I'm going to take you to see, uh, to see Prince, a musicology tour. And of course it was fantastic. And, and it was, it was great for her as well. And it was like a full circle thing for me. And that was the last time I saw him. I love that you share um, Prince with your daughter like that. Cause um, mm-hmm. some of our other episodes, um, we talk about how her mom's Introduce us to him. Yeah. I've heard that. Sometimes I'm a little jealous, like, mother, okay, it's our time. But I I love how how just everybody loves him and then they find so many things that they connect to. It's really deep sometimes too. Oh yeah. And my younger daughter, who's only two years younger than Roxanne, her name is Arielle. And I've um, you know, we talk about she under she gets it now, you know, unfortunately when he first passed away. It would be like they would just barely tolerate me. You know, it's like they would be rolling their eyes like, oh, my gosh, if I hear one more thing, but not anymore. They understand, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Ariel understands. And I have inculcated her daughter, who is my oldest granddaughter, who is 11, going on 12, Nadia. Mm-hmm. We listen to Prince all the time. She loves him. You know, I age appropriate. I have to skip some things. <laughs> yes. But she loves like Indigo Nights. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she loves 3121. You know, I'm talking about albums. And, um, you know, and she'll just bust out. We'll be doing something in the kitchen and she'll just look at me and say, this is the jam of the year, you <laughs> <Yes>. know, <laughs> which is kind of cool, you know. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. She's like, hey, I noticed all the critics love him in Paris, London. <laughs> and I'm like, it's wherever he is. He goes, ah, I get it now. It's so funny. Aww. Yeah. So, yeah, passing on the love, passing Yay. on the purple positivity. That's Prince. what it's all yes. about. Yes. Yes. So what are you doing these days? What do you have going on in Crockett's work? Um, well, as you know, I'm a writer, a brand new novelist. My book is called We Took the Long Way Home. Uh, and my pen name is Marilyn Celeste. And um, it came out on the 7th of June, which Aww. is a very uh, hospitable day. And, or I should say, uh, yeah, auspicious day, I should say. Um, and the book is doing well. Uh, great reviews on Amazon. You can get it on Amazon.com as a paperback or uh, an ebook or uh, Barnes and Noble, it, it, almost anywhere. I mean, if, if you want to go, go grab it, ask your local bookstore if they have it or order it. Again, it's called We Took the Long Way Home, Marilyn Celeste. And it is a novel about um, friendship, betrayal, family secrets and lies. And it's for um, friends who meet in high school in the mid-60s in Detroit. And it's how their lives change and the things they go through in the aftermath of the Detroit riots that happened in 1967. Anybody mm-hmm. who knows history knows that my dear home city uh, never really recovered from that. 
And in the book, which is, you know, it's fiction, but it, it's got some real events inside of it. Um, their lives basically kind of get torn asunder. Different ones succeed and some maybe do not. It just depends. But ultimately, uh, it's about how they find their way back to each other. And uh, they go all the way to early 80s. So it's about a, an 18-year span of these young people's lives. And it's really good. It's gritty. Uh, it's witty. And it's edgy. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So um, do you have like any social media accounts? Where can they find you for questions? Or- sure. I'm on Facebook, Marilyn Celeste McNair. Um, and I'm also on Twitter and um, Instagram, but as my uh, publishing company, which is the Detroit Red, or I guess, no, it's Detroit Red Publishing. I'm sorry. Detroit Red Publishing is uh, my publishing entity. And if you want to go on my website to get my book, if you want a signed copy, it is www.thedetroitred.com, thedetroitred.com. Okay. Well, thank you for coming on today and talking with me. Oh, thank you. It has been a blast. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah. And so this is Darling Nisi. Um, Thank you to the Prince Podcast, for which we are a subset. And you can find me on Tumblr as well as Twitter at Darling Nisi. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye. So there is y'all for you to see what's beyond you and me. Depends, my friends, primarily on how you view your role in eternity. If she could be muse, 